trees went out to name themselves the king. This is Grace Talks, a production of Martin UMC, an open and inviting United Methodist Church in Martin, Michigan, a co-charge with Shelbyville United Methodist Church, which worships on Sunday at 11 a.m. Martin worships Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and we would love to see you there. But the olive tree said, should I stop making all that I know as human beings? Our scripture text today comes from Jeremiah chapter 4. At that time it will be said to the people and to Jerusalem, a hot wind comes from me out of the bare heights in the desert towards my poor people. Not to winnow or cleanse, no, a wind too strong for that. Now it is I who speaks in judgment against them. For my people are foolish, they do not know me. They are stupid children. They have no understanding. They are skilled in doing evil, but do not know how to do good. I looked on the earth, and lo, it was waste and void into the heavens, and they had no light. I looked on the mountains, and lo, they were quaking, and all the hills moved to and fro. I looked, and lo, there was no, bird, there was no one at all, and all the birds of the air had fled. I looked, and lo, the fruitful land was a desert, and all the cities were laid in ruins before the Lord in his fierce anger. For thus says the Lord, the whole land shall be a desolation, yet I will not make a full end. Because of this, the earth shall mourn, and the heavens above grow black. For I have spoken, I have purposed, I have not relented, nor will I turn back. So because I'm too close to being having come out, come out of university and come out of seminary, I feel the need at times to cite my sources still, <laughs> which means that I have to admit that this sermon would not have been possible without the help of a professor, uh, an author that I really respect by the name of David Bentley Hart. And so this sermon is kind of a summation of one of his books, is ultimately what I'm doing here. He wrote the book following the tsunami in 2003, the one that in the Philippines, thank you, the one in the Philippines and that struck throughout the Indian Ocean, killing an estimated quarter of a million people. What this means, and the reason I bring this up, is because we have this tendency as a people, whenever a disaster strikes, whenever bad things happen, to ask that question of why. Why did this happen? What is the purpose? What is the pattern? Why me? Why would this be a part of God's plan? Why was there the forest fire? Why is there the hurricane? Why did mom get sick? Why did dad die? Why did my friend have to suffer like that? Why suffering? These questions should not surprise us when we ask them because we tend to prefer, we tend to like a world that is ordered, a world that has meaning. And when things fall apart, when the world is absent meaning, when the world is absent purpose, we like to think there is a purpose. We like to think there is a plan. We like to think that there is a meaning even in the face of the most meaningless of things. 
What happens is that we end up so often striving so hard to find meaning behind the suffering and pain and evil and death and sin. We try so hard to find meaning that we sometimes forget that in these things there is no meaning. There is no purpose. There is nothing necessary, nothing to be gained from the things that are evil. We live in a fallen world, which means that sometimes evil is just evil. Sometimes suffering is just suffering. Sometimes death is just death. Sometimes pain is just pain. These things are not essential. These things are not essential tools that God uses. These things are not essential tools that God needs in order to create some greater glory in the future. Rather, these are the cruel masters of the world we live in. Sin and suffering and pain and death and mourning and crying, these are what Paul would call in 2 Corinthians the gods of this world the rulers who turn the world and all creation back towards the nothingness from which all things come. God creates from nothing. And these things want to call us back to nothing. These are likened unto the gods of the world, the gods which blind people and blind us to the meaning and the purpose and the light of the gospel, the meaning and the purpose and the light of the glory of the Christ who has already defeated them. Now what this does is it flies in the face of our more popular form of modern Christianity, which leans towards this idea that tells us that God is the one who ordains and enacts all events so that they might work out for some greater purpose. And the truth is, there's comfort in that, because what it suggests is that there is a pattern, there is a plan behind suffering and evil. But what it ultimately suggests is that we are just unhappy, or maybe happy pawns, in some sort of game that God plays with himself. What it means is that all of our suffering and all of our pain and all of the evil and heartbreak and destruction and death we see in the world is necessary. Is there to teach us some greater lesson? Is there to teach us how big and powerful and strong God is? We treat God like some sort of genie, perhaps like Disney's genie in Aladdin who is who has infinite cosmic power but an itty-bitty living space. Take, for instance, the words of a, celib- of a celebrity Christian who spoke a few years ago in the aftermath of the 2017 hurricane, service, hurricane season. As he said, this is a spectacular display of God's immense power. Where he puts his power on display, it is never without reason. There's a purpose. The weather is sent to cause us to respond to God in humility and awe and repentance. 
Now, we're Methodists, so I should not get in too much trouble when I say this. A God who requires and needs the suffering and death of children in order to teach us a lesson, in order to show us how big and powerful he is, in order to teach us humility, is a God not worth worshiping. That's a God who's evil. God is good, and all the time... What this means is not necessarily what we think it is. It doesn't mean that God is some great super being out there who is super good and super loving. What this means is that in our Christian tradition, God is goodness. God is love. God is light and life and beauty and truth. God is these things. As the author of 1 John would phrase it there in chapter 4 regarding God being love itself, God is love. Those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. What this means is that, and I might lose you here, so warning. <laughs> what this means is that if God is the origin of evil, even evil that is used and intended for good, then God is defined by evil. God cannot be goodness itself. If God needs evil to enact good, then any good that God does depends on that evil. Any good that God does is ultimately just evil itself. No one should say, God is tempting me, James says in his epistle, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God is absolute freedom, which means that God cannot be enslaved to the powers of sin and death like we can. God cannot choose something that is not himself. God is good. All the time. And so what if, as the text indicates today, the evils that we face, the suffering, the heartbreak, the misery, and sin of the world is not actually a part of God's plan, but rather something that God walks through, God surveys, God sees, and God redeems. Again, we're Methodists, so this shouldn't be a, a shocking suggestion. In this passage from Jeremiah today, we see the suffering that the people are facing, and the scene is framed not as though God is the one who causes the suffering, but rather as though God is the one who walks through the suffering, who walks through the destruction, who walks through the destruction, the death, and who surveys it. God is the one who witnesses what the principalities and the powers and the rulers and the spiritual forces of this dark world, as if Paul would call them in Ephesians, have led the people into, have tricked the people into. We have turned from God and we have followed idols. We have followed the work of our hands and they have led us to destruction. God is walking through all the wreckage that the people and the forces of the earth have done to themselves and promises something greater, promises salvation. 
God is speaking of the things that the people of have endured. The earth is barren, the heavens show no light, the mountains are quaking, the birds have fled, the land that was once fruitful is now barren, the cities lie in desolation. Which I would like to add as a side note here, I had originally planned to preach today on climate change and creation care, which you might understand from this passage. What this text tells us, though, is that all of this happens before the Lord, before, not because. In the presence of the Lord, not caused by the Lord. What we should perhaps be more interested in asking, what is God's plan in the face of suffering, is perhaps understanding that in the face of evil there is no why. Evil has no purpose. God does not will suffering. God does not cause suffering. The message of Christ, the message of life, the message of the death, the message of the resurrection, the entire message of Christ's story on earth is that God has come into this world and God has saved us. There's no greater mystery to unlock that can only be unlocked in the wake of suffering. The message of the cross, the message of the resurrection is that evil and suffering and pain and death and sin, these are things that Christ has defeated. Christ has walked through this valley. Christ has walked through the devastation of the earth and Christ has not been swayed by it. Christ has defeated it. Christ has overcome it. Christ has saved us. Christ has saved all of creation. Evil has no purpose. Suffering has no purpose. There's no lesson to be taught or learned. There is only Christ's victory. Which means that if God is involved in the workings of evil, it means that God is involved in the midst of evil and working it for the good. Not because it's necessary, not because it's needed for the greater glory, but because God is a God of redemption. God is a God of restoration. God is a God of reconciliation. God is a God of light from the darkness. Because let's consider... Is there really anything that we should learn from looking at destruction that we shouldn't already know? Death is bad. Surprise. Destruction is bad. Evil is bad. Suffering, death, sin, these things are bad. And we know this from the moment we are born. These things have no purpose. These things have no value. These things have no meaning, and that's why they're evil. These are the things that we struggle with. These are, the, these are just a piece of the spiritual forces of wickedness that Paul holds that we contend with. These are the things which in the fullness of Christ's revelation, which in the fullness of the completion of the kingdom will be done away with. In that penultimate chapter of Revelation, in that 
final scene of the new heaven and the new earth, we are given a glimpse, we are given a foretaste of the future glory. And what we see is that the things that we, these things that we talk about, these things that we try to find meaning in, are the things that God will wipe away. When Christ sits on the throne and declares, look, I make all things new, and he declares that there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for these are the things that have passed away, and death, that final enemy, is itself defeated. The good news, the gospel, the story of salvation is this. God has come into this world and saved us. God has saved all of creation, which as Paul claims in Romans, groans in anticipation for that final revelation of God's glory. God comes to save us from the absolute absurdity of sin. God comes to save us from the emptiness and the waste of death. God comes to save us from the forces of destruction, both intentional and random. Which means that the challenge is this, that the challenge is that we are not allowed to simply sit and wait for God to solve all of our problems for us. To quote Pope Francis, we pray for the hungry and then we feed them. That's how prayer works. We pray for the restoration of all things. We pray for redemption. We pray for healing and then we work to do it. As James would say, faith without works is dead. We can't simply say that, well, God has it all under control and then wait for God to fix it. We're the hands and feet of Christ in the world. We are the ones who are called to live as humanly as possible, showing love to everyone we meet as much as we possibly can, and even beyond it, in a world of evil, injustice, and oppression in every form it presents itself. And so to end and to end with some comfort, this is the comfort that I offer. While it might be considered, while it might be comforting to consider that God is the one who pulls all the strings, who orders everything exactly as he wants them to go, this is not the case, and this is good news. God is not the cause of our suffering, and this is good news. It means that when we look And when we consider the ruins of the World Trade Center these 18 years later, when we see the heaped bodies of some 300,000 dead Middle Eastern civilians following 18 years of war, when we see the ruined bodies of the victims of white supremacists and other American-born terrorists, when we see the pain and the suffering caused by the hurricane's whirlwinds, when we see the forest fire in the Amazon, we don't see the face of God, we see the face of the enemy. We don't see the face of God, we see the face of death. We serve a God 
who does not rely on all the evils of the world to enact his plan, but rather a God who reveals that so much of history's events are false and even damnable. But not something that can stop him. We see a God who loves the creation so totally, so completely, so fully that he declares and he promises not the destruction that we bring on ourselves, but that the destruction is not the end of us. Who declares not that our suffering is good or necessary for the greater plan, but rather that he will lift us up and he will wipe the tears from our eyes. And there shall be no more mourning or pain or sickness or death. For these things have passed away. And the one who sits on the throne will declare, Look, behold, I make all things new. Amen.